Chapter 18b of The Everyday Life of Abraham Lincoln. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Everyday Life of Abraham Lincoln by Francis Fisher Brown. Chapter 18b. Regarded as a political affair, proximity to Washington a hindrance to military success, disturbances in the cabinet, a Senate committee demands Seward's removal from the cabinet, Lincoln's mastery of the situation, Harmony restored, Stanton becomes war secretary, sketch of a remarkable man, next to Lincoln the mastermind of the cabinet, Lincoln the dominant power. There has been, continues Mr. Cameron, a great deal of misstatement as to Mr. Stanton's appointment as my successor. Stanton had been my attorney from the time I went into the War Department until he took my place as secretary. I had hardly made a move in which the legality of any questions could arise. I had taken his advice. I believed in the vigorous prosecution of the war from the start, while Mr. Seward believed in dallying and compromising, and Mr. Chase was constantly agitated about the expenditure of money. Therefore, it was that I was careful to have the advice of an able lawyer. When the question of changing me from the War Department to the Russian mission came up, Mr. Lincoln said to me, "'Whom shall I appoint in your place?' My prompt response was, "'Edwin M. Stanton.' "'But,' said he, "'I had thought of giving it to Holt.' "'Mr. Lincoln,' said I, "'if I am to retire in the present situation of affairs, it seems but proper that a friend of mine, or at least a man not unfriendly to me, should be appointed in my place.' If you give Mr. Stanton the position, you will not only accomplish this object, but will please the State of Pennsylvania, and also get an excellent officer." "'Very well,' said Mr. Lincoln. "'You go and see him. And if he will accept the place, he shall have it.'" I left the White House, and started to find Stanton, passing through the Treasury Department on my way. As I passed Mr. Chase's office, I stepped in and told him what had occurred between the President and myself. He said, "'Let's send for Stanton. Bring him here and talk it over.' "'Very well,' said I, and a messenger was at once sent. Stanton came immediately, and I told him of the conference between the President and myself. He agreed to accept. We walked to the White House, and the matter was settled." One of the troubles in the cabinet which brought about this change was that I had recommended in my annual report in the fall of 1861 that the Negroes should be enlisted as soldiers after they had left their masters. This advanced step was regarded by most of the cabinet with alarm. Mr. Lincoln thought it would frighten the border states out of the Union, and Mr. Seward and Mr. Chase thought it would never do at all. Just before the retirement of Mr. Cameron, a number of influential senators waited upon the President, and represented to him that inasmuch as the Cabinet had not been chosen with reference to the war, and had more or less cost the confidence of the country, and since the President had decided to select a new war minister, they thought the occasion was opportune to change the whole seven Cabinet ministers. They therefore earnestly advised him to make a clean sweep, select seven new men, and so restore the waning confidence of the country. The President listened with patient courtesy, and when the Senators had concluded, he said, 
with a characteristic gleam of humour in his eye, "'Gentlemen, your request for a change of the whole cabinet, because I have made one change, reminds me of a story I once heard in Illinois, of a farmer who was much troubled by skunks. They annoyed his household at night, and his wife insisted that he should take measures to get rid of them. One moonlight night he loaded his old shotgun, and stationed himself in the yard to watch for the intruders, his wife remaining in the house anxiously awaiting the result. After some time she heard the shotgun go off, and in a few minutes the farmer entered the house. "'What luck had you?' said she. "'I hid myself behind the woodpile,' said the old man, with the shotgun pointed toward the hen-roost, and before long there appeared not one skunk, but seven. I took aim, blazed away, and killed one. And he raised such a fearful smell I concluded it was best to let the other six alone." The senators retired, and nothing more was heard from them about cabinet reconstruction. Of the character and abilities of Secretary Stanton, and the relations between him and the President, General Grant has admirably said, I had the fullest support of the President and Secretary of War. No general could want better backing. For the President was a man of great wisdom and moderation, the Secretary a man of enormous character and will. Very often, where Lincoln would want to say yes, his Secretary would make him say no, and more frequently, when the Secretary was driving on in a violent course, the President would check him. United, Lincoln and Stanton made about as perfect a combination as I believe could, by any possibility, govern a great nation in time of war. The two men were the very opposite of each other in almost every particular, except that each possessed great ability. Mr. Lincoln gained influence over men by making them feel that it was a pleasure to serve them. He preferred yielding his own wish to gratify others, rather than to insist upon having his own way. It distressed him to disappoint others. In matters of public duty, however, he had what he wished, but in the least offensive way. Mr. Stanton never questioned his own authority to command, unless resisted. He cared nothing for the feeling of others. In a further comparison of the two men, General Grant said, Lincoln was not timid, and he was willing to trust his generals in making and executing plans. The secretary, Stanton, was very timid and it was impossible for him to avoid interfering with the armies covering the capital when it was sought to defend it by an offensive movement against the army guarding the Confederate capital. He could see our weakness, but he could not see that the enemy was in danger. The enemy would not have been in danger if Mr. Stanton had been in the field. With all his force of character, and his overbearing disposition, Stanton did not undertake to rule the President though this has sometimes been asserted. He would frequently overawe and broadbeat others, but he was never imperious in dealing with Lincoln. Mr. Watson, for some time Assistant Secretary of War, and Mr. Whiting, Solicitor of the War Department, with many others in a position to know, have borne positive testimony to this fact. Honorable George W. Julian, a member of the House Committee on the Conduct of the War, says, On the 24th of March, 1862, Secretary Stanton sent for the Committee for the purpose of having a confidential conference as to military affairs. Stanton was thoroughly discouraged. 
He told us the President had gone back to his first love, General McClellan, and that it was needless for him or for us to labor with him. This language clearly shows that Lincoln, not Stanton, was the dominant mind. Wherever it was possible, Lincoln gave Stanton his own way, and did not oppose him. But there were occasions when, in a phrase used by Lincoln long before, it was necessary to put the foot down firmly. Such an occasion is described by General J. B. Fry, Provost Marshal of the United States during the war. An enlistment agent had applied to the President to have certain credits of troops made to his county, and the President promised him it should be done. The agent then went to Secretary Stanton, who flatly refused to allow the credits as described. The agent returned to the President, who reiterated the order, but again without effect. Lincoln then went in person to Stanton's office. General Fry was called in by Stanton to state the facts in the case. After he concluded, Stanton remarked that Lincoln must see, in view of such facts, that his order could not be executed. What followed is thus related by General Fry. Lincoln sat upon a sofa, with his legs crossed, and did not say a word until the Secretary's last remark. Then he said, in a somewhat positive tone, "'Mr. Secretary, I reckon you'll have to execute the order.' Stanton replied with asperity, "'Mr. President, I cannot do it. The order is an improper one, and I cannot execute it.' Lincoln fixed his eye upon Stanton, and in a firm voice, and with an accent that clearly showed his determination, he said, "'Mr. Secretary, it will have to be done.' Stanton then realized that he was overmatched. He had made a square issue with the President, and had been defeated. Upon an intimation from him, I withdrew, and did not witness his surrender. A few minutes after I reached my office, I received instructions from the Secretary to carry out the President's order. Vice President Wheeler relates a characteristic incident illustrating the relations between Lincoln and Stanton. The President had promised Mr. Wheeler an appointment for an old friend as Army Paymaster, stating that the Secretary of War would instruct the gentleman to report for duty. Hearing nothing further from the matter, Mr. Wheeler at length called upon the Secretary, and reminded him of the appointment. Mr. Stanton denied all knowledge of the matter, but stated, in his brusque manner, that the name would be sent in, with hundreds of others, to the Senate for its consideration. Mr. Wheeler argued that his friend had been appointed by the Commander-in-Chief of the Army, and that it was unjust to ask him to wait for the tardy action of the Senate upon the nomination, and that he was entitled to be mustered in at once. But all in vain. The only reply that could be got from the Iron Secretary was, "'You have my answer. No argument.' Mr. Wheeler went to the Chief Clerk of the Department, and asked for the President's letter directing the appointment. Receiving it, he proceeded to the White House, although it was after executive hours. "'I can see Mr. Lincoln now,' says Mr. Wheeler, as he looked when I entered the room. He wore a long calico dressing-gown, reaching to his heels. His feet were encased in a pair of old-fashioned leathern slippers, such as we used to find in the old-time country hotels, and which had evidently seen much service in Springfield.' Above these appeared the homemade blue woolen stockings which he wore at all seasons of the year. He was sitting in a splint rocking-chair, 
with his legs elevated and stretched across his office table, he greeted me warmly. Apologizing for my intrusion at that unofficial hour, I told him I had called simply to ascertain which was the paramount power in the government, he or the Secretary of War. Letting down his legs and straightening himself up in his chair, he answered, Well, it is generally supposed I am. What's the matter? I then briefly recalled the facts attending Sabin's appointment, when, without comment, he said, Give me my letter. Then, taking his pen, he endorsed upon it, Let the within named J. A. Sabin be mustered at once. It is due to him and to Mr. W. under the circumstances. A. Lincoln Armed with this peremptory order, Mr. Wheeler called on Stanton the next morning. The secretary was furious. He charged Mr. Wheeler with interfering with his prerogatives. Mr. Wheeler remarked that he would call the next morning for the order to muster in. He called accordingly, and handing him the order in a rage, Stanton said, I hope I shall never hear of this matter again. It is related by Honorable George W. Julian, already quoted, that on a certain occasion a committee of Western men, headed by Mr. Lovejoy, procured from the President an important order looking into the exchange and transfer of Eastern and Western soldiers, with a view to more effective work. Repairing to the office of the Secretary, Mr. Lovejoy explained the scheme as he had before done to the President, but was met with a flat refusal. "'But we have the President's order, sir,' said Lovejoy. "'Did Lincoln give you an order of that kind?' said Stanton. "'He did, sir.' "'Then he is a damned fool,' said the irate secretary. "'Do you mean to say the President is a damned fool?' asked Lovejoy, in amazement. "'Yes, sir. If he gave you such an order as that.' The bewildered Illinoisian betook himself at once to the President, and related the result of his conference. "'Did Stanton say I was a damned fool?' asked Lincoln at the close of the recital. He did, sir, and repeated it. After a moment's pause, and looking up, the President said, If Stanton said I was a damn fool, then I must be one, for he is nearly always right, and generally says what he means. I will step over and see him. The two men met, and the matter was easily adjusted. It was this rare combination of good humor and firmness, with an understanding of the other's trials and appreciation of his good qualities, that reduced the friction of official life and enabled Lincoln and Stanton to work together. In the main harmoniously and efficiently, in their great task of prosecuting the war and maintaining the integrity of the Union. End of chapter 18b. Recording by Bill Borst.